Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shelly. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, except for it's getting cold and I don't like that. <laughs> oh, I know. I've got like this sweater. Neither. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you're more of a, I think you're more of a fall person than I am. No? Mm-hmm. No. For some summer. reason, I thought you loved summer. fall. No. No, oh, summer okay. means winter's coming. So no. Mm-hmm. I try to not hate it, but mm-hmm. I, I do. Yeah. It's I like it for like a hot second and then I'm over it. <laughs> I don't even like pumpkin spice. I don't even, if no, I'm gonna get what? like a fall flavor, it's gonna be apple cider. Me too. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we just got back from um Ireland. How was it? Beautiful. Was it? I yeah. bet. Yeah. I bet. Oh, I'm so happy you get to go. Yeah, it was a fun vacation. Beautiful. All right. So this nice. week we are talking with Chloe from Dose Sleep Coaching, all about infant sleep. Mm. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. And mm. first, let's do our favorite of the week. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So I my um stepsister sells new skin whitening toothpaste. Um, and it's one of those things you need to order. You're not going to buy it in the store and it is whitening. So good. So I have used off and on the last few years, like everybody else, you know, once a year, twice a year, do crest white strips, but they don't Mm -hmm. get any edges of your teeth because they're kind of plastered just over the centers. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to get whitening in those, you know, between like right where the teeth meet. And I am a coffee drinker who then drinks red wine. So it's easy for my, I really have to keep that going with worrying about my teeth not being Mm -hmm. white. So I ordered this from her to give it just a go, just to try it. Holy cow. It works. I noticed after the second time I brushed my teeth that those areas that I could never get white were whiter. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, what kind of money is in this. I know it was like $25 of the two, but holy crap, if you need really good whitening toothpaste, get it. New skin, N-U, separate word, skin, S-K-I-N. Do you feel like it made your teeth and well, you've only used it twice, but do you feel like you, no, no, I've been using it now for a couple of weeks, but oh, okay. I noticed right after the second time that it was like significant. Gotcha. Do you yeah. feel like it made your teeth sensitive? Cause I know that some whitening products can do that. Yeah. So far, no, so far, no, but okay. that that's a possibility, but I've got sensitive. Should that happen? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I can't, awesome. yeah. Yeah. How about yours? What's yours? Mine's a podcast. It's called um, Small Town Murder. So if you're into true crime, 
this is a good one, but ah. it's a comedy. So they, they go, they're comedians and they set up the episode by talking about the town that the murder took place in. And they're kind of making fun of, you know, oh my gosh. small town life. Yeah. <laughs> Not in like a mean way, but a kind of like, oh, there's like 300 people that live in this town. And then they go through details about the murder and, and it is a comedy. So they are poking fun. They never make fun of like the victim or the victim's families, but they make fun of like the murderer. And um, it's really funny and interesting and if you're into true crime and you also have like a dark sense of humor this is the podcast for you all right i do not have a dark sense of humor murder scary stuff scares the crap out of me (laughs) (laughs) i'm like if it's not as lighthearted like the brady bunch i can't go to bed (laughs) until i have something as lighthearted as that uh yeah that's we're like so opposite all the time (laughs) i know all the time and yet like it's hilarious because we are so like our tastes and our interests are so different in so many ways and yet we are like Mm -hmm. my favorite person (laughs) (laughs) and we will link to those i will link to the podcast and nicole toothpaste in the show notes but let's move on to our question of the week okie dokie sounds good So this question was submitted on Instagram and this mom's asking sometimes some days my baby eats, seems to eat a ton and other days my baby only eats a little bit. Is that normal? Mm. I feel like I do that too. I was just going to say, don't we all do that? Yeah. Sometimes we just like snack a little bit throughout the day and other times we're like, give me the five course meal. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all like that. Yep. And babies too. And sometimes they'll eat less at a certain time of day and then more at a certain time of day. So as long as your baby's gaining well and um, happy and healthy, I wouldn't worry about it. Agreed. That's a great question. Very good question. All right. So we'll be talking with Chloe from Dosey Coaching next. Sounds good. everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. I'm excited to announce this week's guest expert speaker. It's Chloe. She is a OCN level six qualified sleep coach and the owner of Doe Sleep Coaching. Welcome, Chloe. Hi, Shelly. Nice to meet you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm not too bad. Where are you located? So I'm in the UK, so it's a lot later in the day than it is for you. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So yes, so I am, um, as you mentioned, I'm an OCN level six qualified sleep coach. 
um, which is um, a qualification that's ran through something called the Holistic Sleep Coaching Programme by a woman called Lindsay Hawkway, which you might have heard of her. She's very big in the sleep world and she runs a accredited sleep coaching programme. Um, so I qualified through that um, a couple of year and a half ago uh, and I set up Doe Sleep Coaching, which is my um, sleep coaching business, which is focused around kind of holistic approach to sleep with gentle sleep solutions and a focus on kind of positive habits rather than focusing on the negative side of things so that's a little bit about me yeah I'm very familiar with Lindsay I love her I have um a lot of her books and she's she's an IBCLC as well which I really like um she is yeah yeah there's a big focus on kind of obviously breastfeeding and and that side of things isn't my area but there's a big focus on that in in the course that Mm -hmm. I did kind of you know sleep approaches that prioritize healthy breastfeeding relationship and not damaging that so it's something that's mm. important to me with my work as well yes exactly I know because I, I, I was an IBCLD and then I chose I didn't choose the same organization that you did um, but the same thing like very gentle and with breastfeeding focus in mind the whole reason why I decided to get certified is because I was um, tired of seeing parents work really really hard to get breastfeeding going the way that they want it to and then have it completely ruined by harsh sleep techniques that babies are not ready for and that work against the biological norm of infant sleep. Yep, and that is absolutely the same. Obviously, my priority, the focus is still on breastfeeding for me and kind of, but it's, I've talked to women who will formula feed and things like that. It's about, for me, it's about that kind of focusing on the healthy attachment, you know, the attachment between the child and the caregiver and focusing on something that's not going to damage that and it's going to be, good for that relationship and I think all of it works so well and it's why with the course that I did it's that idea of it being holistic it's everything you know it's everything from you know the family and the child's temperament and feeding and naps and everything it's not just a focus on how they fall asleep which I think a lot of the more traditional methods focus on Mm -hmm. yeah 100% why do you think and I know that I'm asking this as as part of this industry, but why do you think the sleep industry is so strong right now? Like, I always like, I mean, I know my thoughts on this, but as a species, we've just always slept. (laughs) We didn't need like experts to like teach our babies, quote unquote, to sleep. So why do you think nowadays um, everyone's looking for how to get more sleep or how to train their baby to sleep or what products would help my baby sleep longer? Why do you think that's so ingrained in our culture right now? I think there's two sides to it. I think one side of it is that, I guess, the social side of things, um, you know, women are having to go back to work. Well, women are having to work, but maybe, you know, 50 years ago, they weren't. They're having to go back to work very early. Um, and particularly in the US, the maternity leave is quite short. It's longer in other countries, but it's, I think part of it is our expectations. So we need our babies to sleep if we have to go back to work early because we need to function at work. But then I also think it's about unrealistic expectations not from the parents themselves but from what society says to them is what to expect from a baby we expect that our baby should be sleeping through by six months so if they're not there's something wrong with the baby so it's that mix of those two things it's the desperation because of society forcing women back to work and also telling them and they should be sleeping through um I don't know if that's your view on it as well yeah, exactly. And it's funny because if you look at other cultures, that's not the case. That's more of a, you know, developed country, Western developed country idea that our babies should be independent and in sleeping and on schedules and sleeping on their own. 
Um, whereas if you look at the the world, like as a species, we we don't we sleep with our children. We keep them close. Mm-hmm. We let them yeah. sleep on the fly. We, you know, um, but in our in our culture, at least I know it's probably the same in the UK because that's why you got started where it's almost in some areas, parents are expected to sleep train at a certain age. Like they just think that that's, you do that because that's what you do. I've, I mean, I've seen that I've seen on, on Instagram, you know, people having their checkup with their pediatrician and saying the pediatrician has signed us off to sleep train. And it's like, it blows my mind that that is something that a pediatrician would say, right, you're ready to do that now, because why do you have to do that? Why is that something that needs to be done at a certain age? And yeah, I think the whole culture around sleep is insane. I think it's, we've really got to this point where it's just, it makes no sense. We've gone against the biological norms. We've gone against what's natural. And we're kind of focusing on things that stress parents out because they're not realistic. We can't expect babies very, very young to sleep through. And some of the questions I get from people on a daily basis they you know they're saying why is my eight week old still waking in the night and it's like what but it's come from this pressure of of society Mm -hmm. and doctors and you know other sleep consultants and books and websites it's just from all angles I think parents Mm -hmm. are getting and it's so stressful right exactly and I think it's just a lack of also education what normal infant sleep looks like we've kind of lost touch with what even with ourselves, like we know that we are, we don't sleep through the night, even though we always say we do. Um, and we're not really meant to sleep through the night. Like it was pretty common as a species for us to get up in the middle of the night for a couple hours and then go back to sleep. Like this whole, like you have to sleep, you know, so many hours straight was not what we did back in the day. I find that fascinating because it's one of the, like one of the really common areas in, in uh, baby sleep that's a problem is um, split nights so in other words they wake up in the middle of the night they spend two hours awake and then they go back to sleep and the parents are like how do I stop them from doing this and the thing I would say is just what you said it's actually quite biologically normal because historically that's how we slept we woke up in the middle of the night and we had some food and we you know it, it's normal and we're trying to train babies to sleep in a way that's not normal I mean it is possible because we get to the point where they can sleep those stretches but it's not not necessarily the biological norm which is fascinating right right and you know there's a a whole variety of or a wide range of um sleep training techniques some involve no crying at all which is more what you and I focus on um and then some involve like a lot of crying can you talk a little bit about that like what you see um where you are what parents are trying and doing yeah so in terms of the crying methods it's something that I see everywhere. You know, it's, it's, there's such a range, like you're saying, there's kind of cry it out, which is the traditional really harsh way, which is you mm-hmm. put the baby in their car, in their crib, and you shut the door and that's it. You don't go back to them. And then you've got the kind of control crying and the further method, which is the more, this is the one that you see the most, I would say. So it's timed intervals. You go in after one minute, after two minutes, and you reassure the baby, and then you leave the room again, and then you go back in. Um, and I think that's the one that's become, completely normalized that that's Mm -hmm. fine because you're going in to reassure the baby so it's it can't be I don't want to use the word cruel but you know it can't be unhealthy and unhelpful because you are reassuring the baby Mm -hmm. um obviously from my perspective we shouldn't be leaving babies alone to cry I don't I don't believe that that is a a healthy thing for relationships and attachments between um, parents and the child because that baby has no other way to communicate other than crying and they aren't going to be tell 
be able to tell their parents what they need and if they need something. Um, so yeah, the other end is the kind of more gentle side, less tears. It's not to say that children aren't going to cry. I think this is another thing that I try and be quite clear about in my practice is babies cry. And like I said, it's mm. their only way of communicating and they're going to cry and they're going to get upset. The key is being responsive to that. And mm. it's making sure that you reassure them through it and that you are present and that they know that you are supporting them through it. And that I think is the kind of the gentle approach. If anybody says it, it's completely tear-free, it won't involve any tears, I think that's probably also a lie and probably mm. a bit of a marketing gimmick to get that side of it as well. So yeah, I think I think that's probably the spectrum. Um, and it is, I think it's something, again, culturally, I do think um, gentle sleep training is starting to become a bit of a buzzword. I don't know whether you're noticing it more and more. Yeah. Um, and then when you actually dig into it, it's not gentle. It is just control crying, but it's being framed as something which is gentle. Um, so I think parents are clocking on to this idea that control crying might not be the best, but I think that's just opening up a world for mm-hmm. people to offer control crying with a different name, really. Yeah. Yep. I've noticed that too, or where they say it's, it's gentle because you're again, like you said, like you are going in to soothe the baby, but it's not really gentle. I've, I've said this so many times on this, on this podcast, but it just astounds me how our society expects babies to do things that we are not willing to do as adults. Uh Like, you know, if, if I was upset and crying and my husband just left me in the room alone, I'd probably be really (laughs) pissed off at him. Um, Yes. Yes. I'm so true. And it has nothing to do. Like I'm 38 years old. I don't know. I don't need to learn how to self soothe. (laughs) Like I'm upset for a reason and I want some comfort. Like that's a completely necessary basic need. Um, And same thing with like, sleeping alone. Like when my husband's gone away on a trip, I miss that. Like, cause I'm sleeping alone. I don't like that. Most of us, you know, in relationships don't sleep alone, but all of a sudden we're like, Oh, well the whole emphasis is, well, you know, your baby needs to learn how to sleep in the crib alone. Your baby needs to learn this. And it's like, well, why we don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, and there's so much more vulnerable than a 38 year old woman you know there's Mm. so much they can't you can tell your husband that you're annoyed at him or that you're upset at him or you can tell him what you're feeling and they can't do that um and it's the classic it's the common thing you hear is the argument against control crying it's kind of it's not actually teaching them how to sleep it's teaching them not to cry out if they need you it's the opposite and so that's something that again I don't agree with you know from that perspective it's like we want them to tell us if something is wrong we want them to tell us if they are hungry we want them to tell us if they are wet if they you know need comfort if you're training them to not tell you that cannot be a good thing um Mm -hmm. so that's another reason why you know it's not a good approach um and it it, in the same vein it's not um a long-lasting approach either it's something I always tell people they're talking to me because you do control crying it works and it does work that's the thing it will work it will work in a few days and they will sleep better but they go through illness, they go through teething, they travel, anything like this happens. And it just resets them back because they haven't learned the basic skills. Mm-hmm. They've just learned not to bother you. And so therefore when things happen and things change and routines change, they just pick back up where they were before and they haven't learned those kind of the core skills about it. So my approach is more mm-hmm. based around age realistic and age appropriate guiding towards healthy sleep habits in the hope that that is something that will last them rather than something mm-hmm. short-term fix. 
Right. Cause we want to teach as parents, we want to teach our babies and our children that's that sleep is a safe place to go to. It's a safe place where you can go and recharge and, you know, your parents are going to be there when you wake up and, and just leaving them to cry doesn't make them feel very safe at all. And so I, Absolutely. and I have read that that can lead to the whole, like there's a monster under my bed um, phase as a toddler. Absolutely. Because it's something that, you know, again, part of my approach, different side of it, but part of my approach is to try and keep the sleep area of the house, their bedroom or your room, wherever they sleep, as a sleep area. Try not to make it somewhere that's you use for punishment. Try not to, to use it as an area for too much fun. Try and keep it as like this focus on sleep. And so again, if you're doing controlled crying in there, that's not creating a positive sleepy association with it. It's creating an association with fear and and feeling alone and again like you're saying that cannot be a good thing that cannot promote good sleep habits in the long run Mm -hmm. yeah now as far as I understand it you can correct me if I'm wrong because you've been um in this longer than I have we don't have like solid evidence showing that crying um sleep training is harmful for the baby's brain we just have like research that show it may be harmful is that right that is right. Yeah, there isn't. And it's something that I think is quite from the other side of it. I have people come to me who have done control crying and I don't I always try and reassure them, reassure them that the science doesn't at the moment show that that will have been a damaging thing. It's as you're saying, it's kind of it's the other side. So it's that there's it can't prove that they're is harm rather than Mm -hmm. the proof that the harm exists that might be the wrong way of putting it but um so I think no there isn't proof but there is parts of evidence and studies that have shown that control crying in the long run doesn't improve sleep it Mm -hmm. doesn't make a difference to kind of the parent sleep and parental stress and parental kind of mental health issues so it's not we can't prove that it's not harmful but it's not as effective Mm-hmm. and why would you do something why not do something that there's definitely no proof that there's harm if that makes sense right it's better yeah. to do something that you know is safe and something that they can't quite prove is safe and doesn't work anyway so that's my view on it and there's loads of studies I should have probably looked up these studies before and um, this call it was part of my course there was a whole module on kind of studies around sleep and mm-hmm. you know there's there's loads of them that have kind of done control groups and there's a control crying group and there's a gentle group um and absolutely nothing has ever suggested that the best way to go is control crying. It either right. says that go with the gentle approach or they're about the same. So right. therefore go with the gentle approach. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure the parents feel better with the gentle approach too. Like nobody, I have never met a parent who's done control crying that enjoyed the process. No. <laughs> never. Absolutely not. And this is it. I get these panicked messages, you know, saying, oh God, I've just, I've just, had to do control crying but it hasn't worked and my child cries for two hours every evening and have I damaged them and that's what you don't want parents to be feeling like that you don't want parents to be feeling like they're doing something that's damaging their child you want them to have that confidence and reassurance that the approach they're doing in the first place is right for them right for their family and as well it doesn't have to I think people think gentle is going to take forever in a day and I will be honest mm-hmm. and say that gentle approaches are slower control crying can work in a few days gentle approaches do take longer but depending on your parenting style and what you're willing to do there are methods that do work relatively quickly you don't have to wait months and months and months and Mm -hmm. sometimes some of the smaller tweaks the tweaks to naps and routine and feeding and things like that 
can make a huge difference. And that's relatively instantaneous, you know, after a couple of days of consistency. So you don't have to sacrifice, you know, months and months for a gentle approach. Exactly. Yep. And I have found that to be true as well. Going back to the the controlled crying and what you were saying about how it just, it teaches the baby not to call out for help. And I know, again, this is just a theory that's um, out there, so it hasn't been proven, but can you talk a little bit about learned helplessness and how that relates to that controlled crying? Yes. So learned helplessness is this idea that is exactly what I just said. So it's this concept that if we withdraw our response and our support, we're not teaching them to sleep. We're teaching learned helplessness. So they're sort of learning that they are helpless um, and not in control of that situation. And as a result, they can become, I can't think of the word, just unresponsive. And they said they won't cry out and they won't look for your help and support. And it can make them sort of dulled, you know, emotionally dulled to the situation. Um, And this one, again, you know, it can cause the long-term effects and and impact them in the long run. Um, And that's the part of it, which I'm, see as it's very important to avoid that we want to teach them that they can cry out to us and that we will respond to them and in that in the long run when they're toddlers when they're older children that knowing that they've got that emotional response from us is hugely important in their emotional development if they if they develop that learned helplessness that will breed into how they act and how they act throughout their life we want them to feel confident and respected in their kind of emotional well-being and that other people will respect that and that will help them be kind of confident and and emotionally well-rounded adults Mm -hmm. right because if you you know it it all goes back to even just like when your baby's a toddler if if they have learned that they can't rely on a parent or caregiver to respond to them they're going to have you know a lot they're going to be a lot more timid in the world they're not going to have the confidence to go and like leave your side and explore the nearby area because they don't know if something happens if you're going to respond to them absolutely and this is such a common sort of myth in the attachment parenting world you know from people who are not into attachment parenting um which is this idea that if we respond, if we feed on demand, if we, you know, respond to their crying, we pick them up, we rock them to sleep, all those things that are bad habits. And um, if we do those things, they're going to be clingy and they're going to not want to be independent. But actually, it's the opposite. If you are responsive and they can trust in you, that gives them that confidence to go out in the world. It, it's the opposite. So the children that don't have the healthy attachments, the children that haven't built those caregiver attachment those strong attachments they're the ones who develop insecure bonds and they are the ones who struggle to go out and be independent and that's what can go on to cause things like codependent relationships when you're an adult and you know it's the opposite responsiveness breeds independence not the opposite way around yep exactly can you talk a little bit about um like for for young babies why what their sleep pattern is and why that is like a lot of parents are one of the most common questions i get even just during lactation consults not even sleep consults it's like he's now waking up every hour on the hour and i don't understand and <clears throat> i think a lot of parents just don't know why babies sleep the way that they do can you talk a little bit about that yeah so when babies are first born um they have completely different sleep cycles too adults um they also don't have a circadian rhythm which is um also known as a body clock so they don't know the difference between night and day they don't know that they should be sleeping more overnight and less in the day they don't know any of this their bodies don't produce melatonin which is um our hormone that makes us feel sleepy at night 
in other words, they're not really programmed to sleep in the way we do as adults. Um, so over time, what happens is this will naturally start to develop. And so by the time they're kind of six, seven, eight months old, they will be at the point where their circadian rhythm is fully developed and um, they're, they're producing their own melatonin and that will enable them to sleep better. So before this age, when you've got a newborn, a two month old, a three month old, um, they will wake frequently. It's absolutely normal. It's exhausting. And I know that, but it is normal. Um, they will sleep a lot. So they sleep around the clock. They'll sleep during the day, they'll sleep during the night, and they will wake very, very regularly to feed every kind of two hours, something like that, two, three hours, some less, some more. It just depends on the child. But I would expect with a newborn for the first few months, they're going to be waking up very, very regularly overnight to feed. They need to do this. This is part of your area more than mine, but they mm. need to feed very regularly for the mother's milk supply if they're breastfeeding and obviously for their own growth um, and development. So that is normal and it's not about getting them into kind of schedules at two months old when you see that it just horrifies me because they're not capable of doing it they don't have mm -hmm. a body clock that enables them to even understand what they should be doing when they should be sleeping um and then what happens is around four months old um between three and five months old uh, they hit something called the four month sleep regression which is something you hear all over the place in the sleep world mm -hmm. um but put it very very bluntly all it is, is that their sleep cycles mature to an adult style sleep cycle. So where sleep before this was passive, it happened to them. They phased in and out of light and deep sleep. And that was it, really. Um, when it matures, it becomes more of an active process. They can wake more fully in between sleep cycles and they transition through different stages of sleep. And this can be very, very unsettling. So this is why you might find a three month old is you know, they're starting to sleep really long stretches. They might do four or five hours at the beginning of the night, maybe even longer, some because they through the night at three months and the parents mm -hmm. think I've cracked it. Um, and then they hit the form of sleep regression, everything changes and they start waking up far more frequently. And I get people messaging me saying, well, when does this go back to normal? And the problem is it's a permanent biological change. Their sleep will mm -hmm. forever be in this new way of sleeping. Um, and again, it's still very normal, even at four, five, six months to be waking up regularly in the night they still need to feed in the night they still need support they still need to be changed if you know and it's there's so many studies been done on kind of frequency of waking and um it none of it supports this idea that children should be sleeping three by six months I think that seems to be the really common story of you know children should sleep through at six months no feeds no nothing and I think there's a statistic this might be wrong but I'm pretty sure this is the exact number which is 86 percent of six month olds still wake in the night mm -hmm. and that's 86 percent that's huge that's just the vast majority of six months olds are still waking but parents of six months olds are convinced that they should be sleeping through and should be doing something to make them sleep through so I think this is where it comes in it's that's what we we're talking about at the beginning it's expectations the baby's doing what they've always done. The babies are normal. The babies are the same. It's us that have changed and our expectations mm -hmm. that have changed. Yeah, exactly. And from a lactation perspective, you know, some babies will sleep through the night earlier um, and some need to, you know, like you said, wake up for feeding. And it drives me crazy when I hear parents say, well, the pediatrician said that because he's six months old, he shouldn't have to feed overnight. So we should, you know, night wean him. And it's so dangerous to put such a blanket statement 
over every baby like that, because depending on milk supply and storage capacity and efficiency at the breast, some babies are still getting one third of their calories on those overnight feedings. You know, the milk overnight, it tends to be higher in fat, so more rich in calories. And if you have, you know, storage capacity is just how much um, a mom can hold in her breasts at, at a time. It doesn't have anything to do with milk supply, but if you have a large storage capacity, maybe your baby can go longer stretches at night because they do get more feeding. But if you have a, a smaller storage capacity, your baby has to feed more often. They still get enough calories. They still grow well, but they need to feed more often in order to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. And if you have a baby that needs to feed frequently and your pediatrician says, well, he's six months old, so he shouldn't have to feed overnight. That's when I see the growth all of a sudden just tanks off the growth curves. And I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have growth curves where I've plotted and you can see when the sleep training started because the, the baby just starts to fall off their curve. And then it's a lot of like educating, like, you know, your, your baby as an individual person does need to eat overnight. And I remember from a personal perspective, I remember this when I had my son. So I did this course when he was probably about eight, nine months old. So I still went through the trenches of motherhood without any knowledge and experience around this. And I didn't follow anyone on Instagram. I didn't have any of this. I just had books. And um, I don't know if this if this name resonates in the US community, but there's a woman called Gina Ford. Is that a name that resonates out? Sounds familiar. So, so she's like very, very controversial in the UK. And she's big into the kind of, you know, scheduled feeding, scheduled naps, um, sleeping through by very, very young. And I had, I got given one of these books by a colleague um, before maternity leave. And it, oh, it just gave me so much anxiety, so much anxiety because mm-hmm. it was saying, you know, that that he should, he shouldn't still be feeding at this point. And I was, at this point, I was exclusively formula feeding because I, that's another story, but it, <laughs> I was exclusively formula feeding. So it wasn't even like it's to do with, um, you know, milk supply or anything that you just said. This was, but he was still waking in the night, kind of, you know, at six months, he was still having two feeds, three feeds sometimes. And I thought that was something I'd done I'm wrong, you know, and it, it, he didn't. And it, it, this is it. They still, babies, it's still perfectly normal for babies at 12 months to be having night feeds and mm-hmm. 18 months. It's, that's normal to have that, particularly breastfed babies as they get older, you know, into toddler years. It's perfectly, perfectly normal. But we're not told that. And the fact that, like you're saying, if doctors are saying that, that's terrifying. That's so terrifying that they're recommending mm. something that's actually bad for the health of babies. If their growth is going to tank, what are they? Who are they even recommending it for? If it's not for the baby's health and well-being, what are they recommending it for? Um, mm-hmm. And from my perspective as well, night feeds are not the problem. Like I think people tend to focus on the night feeds. If a baby has good sleep habits, the night feed should be relatively quick, and they should settle relatively quickly after the night feed. That's not a problem. The problem is when they're waking hourly or they're waking and spending hours awake and the feed isn't helping that's when it's becomes a sleep problem not necessarily about sleep sleep training but that becomes where it's about looking at other things but the night feed themselves it's one or two feeds during the night that's not going to be causing long-term sleep deprivation you might not want to do it but it's not going to be causing you know big big problems so yeah I don't know where this focus on night weeding very very young babies has come from I just it makes no sense to me right Yeah. And what a lot of parents don't realize also is that babies don't just wake up because they're hungry. They wake up for a variety of reasons. So just because you night wean your baby does not mean that they're going to sleep through the night, quote unquote, they're still going to wake up if they're lonely or cold or too hot or whatever. Um, They don't just wake up just to eat. 
absolutely and this is it like I've worked with loads of families who who they haven't liked me and their babies just naturally don't feed at this point anymore they've self-worn themselves um and still sleep you know badly and it's it's nothing to do with the feeding the feeding is mm-hmm. is a is a I think the feeding is a bit of a red herring that's that sets parents off to think that it's something they need to focus on when actually it's everything around the feeding that matters more mm-hmm. yeah and it's just it's too bad that the advice that these parents are getting from the providers that they trust um I had one family I worked with who was told by the pediatrician okay your baby's six months now night wean them um so they did and the baby's growth started to drop so they told them, you know, just start supplementing with formula, which is fine. I'm, <laughs> but I'm just like, why not just <laughs> and like I, I was almost like, is this really happening? These poor parents because they don't, you know, their feeding goal as a family was not to introduce formula, so they didn't want to do that. And it's like, we'll just wake wake the baby up to eat, and that solved the problem. And it just. It, it, was, it was just astounding to me that this pediatrician had created the problem to begin with and then was just introducing, you know, inter- more interventions that would end up causing more problems for this family instead of just saying, like, look, maybe it was a bad idea to have this baby. Maybe I was wrong. And just like, oh, now you have to introduce formula. Hey, that's so, I mean, it's strange, isn't it? Because again, I don't know what it's like in the US, but they really push breastfeeding here, you know. At, at, for when you're pregnant from your very first appointment it's all like are you going to breastfeed and the midwives come around and the health visitors come around and it's really really pushed but all of a sudden as soon as they're sort of five six months it's like oh no we don't need to breastfeed now so no, mm-hmm. we're done with that we want you to just get them sleeping through you can supplement formula now that's fine it's like well where's that why why is it important then and now all of a sudden it's not when you know the evidence shows that breastfeeding for much longer than six months is obviously the ideal situation so I don't know it's there's a big conspiracy, I think, within the, the health profession that's just, I don't mm. know what it is. And it doesn't help anybody because what that family you've just mentioned then, what's helped them in that situation? They're now having to mm. like set an alarm to wake their baby when the baby was just doing what they were meant to do in the first place. Yeah. It's just yeah. so strange. Yep. And and why are pediatricians giving feeding and sleep advice anyway? It's not like they learn about that in in medical school in the US, most pediatrician residents only get three hours of breastfeeding education a year. That's it. And is it that what it is? That's wow. it, at least in the US. And um, my friend who's a pediatrician was like, we got like a 15 minute lecture on why parents should breastfeed, not how to help them. And then the formula rep came in after to talk about like, oh God, this is just horrible. Yeah. Right. Like pediatricians, I'm not, I don't bash pediatricians. Like they have to know a lot about a lot but it's not like they get this specific training about infant sleep or infant feeding. So why so are don't, we don't getting talk about it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they take your beak out. Like this isn't your business. You know, you mm-hmm. do your thing and the people who have issues with sort of feeding and sleep come to the people who know about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, I mean, we have health visitors in the UK, so they're like highly qualified nurses and they'll come around to your house and they're the ones with development checks. But even then they don't feed in. I feel like they've probably got their feed inside of things now early doors I think they were very very helpful for me but sleep I don't think they have a clue I don't think any of them have any understanding of what normal sleep is and um I remember having my nine month like developmental check with with my son Theo and they were horrified that he was still feeding in the night they were like he's what you know oh you need to oh you need to make sure that he stops that and he was nine months old you know I look at it now and if somebody came through with a nine month old that was still feeding in the night like 
fine doesn't matter mm-hmm. like you know what's the problem um but she was really really horrified about it so it just shows that they obviously lack the training in that side of things as well and kind of n- infant norms just yeah shocking really yeah I had this pediatrician for my third that I actually I really really liked her but I remember there was one day he must have been going through some sort of regression because I was making I wasn't I was more venting than anything where I was like always waking up every night now um every hour now and she's like, oh, you have to put him on a very strict schedule and follow the schedule no matter what, like structure your day around the schedule. And she gave me this book. She's like, I learned it from this book and you should read. And it was like a cry out scheduling book. And I just remember thinking like, wait, you're, you're getting this from like one of these books when you're a pediatrician. For some reason, I thought that they would know, like have this knowledge, not be looking it up for themselves as parents in these books. So even like pediatricians will um, fall for the marketing and for the message that like, no, you need to have your baby on schedules and independence and all that stuff that babies just physically can't do yet. It's yeah, absolutely crazy. Like you're saying, it's something that they just don't know. Um, And I mean, I would just wish that I'd have followed people like us, you know, that's a bit of a thing for us there but it's you know people who have this sort of information and the realistic expectations and what's normal I wish I had known that it would have caused me so much less stress and it'd been mm-hmm. so reassuring to know that it was just fine and everything is fine and <laughs> it's just keep going right and I just, it's just yeah yep I agree 100 percent um and this is such an important topic because I feel like our society is becoming more and more focused on infant sleep. So I feel like the message needs to get out there more like you don't have to involve crying it out or any sort of those harsh methods. Like you can do this on a, with a more gentler approach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's my, what I want to get out as well. <laughs> so tell us um, a little bit about your services and what you offer and where people can find you if they want to connect with you or follow you. So I have um, my main kind of area where you can find free advice and things like that is my Instagram, which is at Doe Sleep Coaching. Um, I do tons of posts on everything from sort of naps to bedtime to just reassurance about things. I do a weekly Q&A on a Monday um, about anything that you want, um, sleep wise, obviously. Uh, And on top of that, I do offer one to one Uh, packages if you did want a bit more personalized support because sometimes you can kind of use free advice and pin it all together and kind of get something that does help if you're in a situation where you're struggling to see that bigger picture I do a range of different um, services and packages based on different budgets and different needs some have follow-up support some don't some have plans some don't um, and you can find them all on my website which is just dosesleepcoaching.com and I do kind of free 15 minute calls if you want to chat through, if you've got just like maybe you want a little bit of quick advice and think about which package would suit you. So, yeah, you can just look through my Instagram and my website and it's got kind of everything that you could find and you can contact me through there. Mm-hmm. And I love your Instagram. Your reels have been like killing it. <laughs> you do such a good job. I've got way too into the reels. My goodness. I was first all like, I can't do reels. I'm too shy. And now I'm into them. I'm like, I might just become a reels person because it's so fun. It is. I love doing reels and I love watching yours because you have this look on your face like, yeah, let's do this. I just love them. It's so funny. I've got loads more. I filmed a load more on Friday when Theo was in uh, childcare. So I've got loads of good ones coming up. So yeah, no, I, I really like I love being able to offer free stuff. It's one of those things, obviously what I do is my business. 
and it is how I make money obviously but I try and do what I can for free and I offer loads of support kind of you know if people direct message me I can try and help where I can sometimes it gets beyond me and it's too complicated and I say look I can't offer you the best support here but I do try and offer what I can on Instagram and and, and help people that way too. Mm-hmm. Great so I'll put the links to all those um, in the show notes so people can connect with you. Perfect. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, This was a lot of fun to talk about. And again, getting that message out there that infants waking up at night is normal and (laughs) that it doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily a sleep problem that needs to be fixed. Absolutely. I think that's the main number one thing that kind of, I just try and tell people it's just, it is normal. It's tiring, but that's just part of it. Um, Obviously, if it's getting unsustainable, that's different. But if they're just waking and you're fine and they're fine and everybody's happy, just don't stress about it. Don't worry about it. Great. Thank you so much, Chloe. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.